All right, good evening. Let's take our Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 1. Going full circle here this evening, celebrating the reality of the Lord's death and resurrection and power to conquer sin, and studying his life and his birth. So as you make your way to Luke chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 26 in a moment. But by way of introduction... I read a stat earlier this week, and I thought it was quite astounding, and it has something to do with where we're going, so it was helpful for me. That stat is, uh, in 2015, that's the first time that YouTube ever recorded, or at least publicized, how many hours of video were uploaded into YouTube. In 2015, by the end of 2015, nearly 500 hours of video were uploaded to YouTube every single minute. That means that in the length of a day, 720,000 hours of video were uploaded by YouTube users. That means if you and I were to sit here and try to watch a day's worth of YouTube videos, which I would not <laughs> recommend, nor would it be profitable. That would take you or me 82 years. That's how much content is uploaded in one single day. That's a lot. It's astounding to think about. And that was 2015. Quite frankly, I didn't go wasting my time looking for a more recent date. That just proves the point. We love the visual, don't we? I was talking to two teens this morning, and, and I asked, so what'd you do this weekend? And one of them said, oh, I went to the Cavs game with my dad. And the other one said, I went to Egypt, and then I swam in a shark tank. And we looked at her, and she said, virtual reality and so she had her and so we laughed and said she won she got to see a dead body in pharaoh's tomb uh, in the pyramid and then swim with sharks but we are incredibly interested in the visual and in one sense that contrasts really what we see playing out in the life of jesus certainly at his start Think about his life for a second, what you know. How relatively unremarkable for being the savior of the world, his life starts. Right? Think about it from a visual sensational standpoint. It was unsensational. It was lowly. But yet tonight, the birth of Jesus teaches us that there is something more than what we see. There's something more than what we see. Jesus' birth introduces for us the importance of the unseen. So let's look at Luke chapter 20, uh, verse 1, starting in, excuse me, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. We're going to read through the narratives and, and try to get, just remind ourselves of the familiar context and then make a few points that I think we would have from a broad view of, of, of Jesus' narrative this evening. So verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, 
to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, John the Baptist. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. We find out Elizabeth is one of her relatives. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of the womb. And we'll tie this back to, uh, actually, yeah, back to verse 28, when we make comments to the favored one. And coming, he said to her, greetings, Gabriel said to Mary in verse 28, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And so that really is the same kind of uh, verbiage and understanding here. So just make a mental note of that, because we'll deal with that in a second. Well, how do we deal with Mary, and how do some people deal with Mary? And so that'll be a helpful thing for us. But in verse 42, she cried, uh, that's uh, Elizabeth, cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, speaking to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby John the Baptist leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Hang on with me. Let's continue on. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed for the mighty one who has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home. And because we're going to treat this uh, paragraph uh, in the same sermon tonight, turn over to Luke chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1, we see the Jesus, birth of Jesus foretold, and now we enter really the delivery room, as it were. Though it's 
delivery room we would not expect. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from, the, from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed to her, uh, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were uh, terribly frightened. Sorry, I was going into King James there. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the peoples. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in their heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it has been told them. Verse 21. And when eight days had passed, oh, we don't have to read verse 21. We won't read verse 21. My apologies. Verse 20 is good enough. That's a lot to read. I appreciate your patience. Certainly it's worth reading the Word of God, and thank you for letting me do it fast since we have a little bit of a crunched time this evening. But as we look at Jesus' birth, I want us to consider that His birth illustrates something of the importance of the unseen. The unseen. I mentioned that it is, it is a visual age that we live in, that we have YouTube, hundreds and thousands of hours of YouTube videos going on in just the mere span of a day. And yet, we see Jesus. Plain, simple, no fanfare, and his birth. So tonight we see it is unremarkable, Jesus' birth, compared to the mercy of God. What we see can be unremarkable compared to the mercy of God. That really is what I think Jesus' birth teaches us in a nutshell here in our first point, that what we see is unremarkable compared to the mercy of God. He hides the profound in the plain. Don't you see how God does that in Jesus' birth? Think about Nazareth, right? It's an unremarkable small town. You know Nazareth. It was never mentioned in the Old Testament. 
outside of mainstream, outside of the mainstream Jewish world, uh, no one even wanted to go to Nazareth. No one wanted, saw anything good come out of Nazareth. When Jesus comes up to Nathanael, later on in his ministries, he's calling the disciples. Nathanael says, can anything good, what? Come out of Nazareth. So it was certainly outside the mainstream. The irony is, even the Nazarenes of Jesus' hometown, his, his hometown people, as it were. When he goes, he, we, he, it's recorded once, he goes to the temple at age 12, remember? He opens up the book of Isaiah. And he tells them that today in their hearing, this has been fulfilled. And he says, you know what? There's not even honor for a prophet in his home town. So the irony, even after considering all that Nazareth is, or quite frankly, isn't, and yet even still his people rejected him. And so it is unremarkable, Nazareth. Look at verse 27, the way Luke introduces his mother. Jesus' mother. A virgin. She doesn't even have a name yet. She does at the end of the verse. But the most important thing about Mary, or one of the more, more important things about Mary, is that she is a virgin. Oh, and by the way, it's almost like Luke right pens in. Her name is Mary. Joseph, in verse 27. He's unremarkable, even compared to the juxtaposition of, of Elizabeth and Zacharias. Right? Zacharias is at least a priest, and Elizabeth is, is well-renowned, and yet, and yet compared to who Joseph is, Joseph is really unremarkable. He was a carpenter. We, we learned that, right? But really, after Jesus gets lost at the temple, we don't hear about Joseph ever again. Unremarkable. Unremarkable. Pen, uh, page over to chapter 2 and verse 1. The way that Mary and Joseph actually get to Bethlehem is rather unremarkable, isn't it? Now in the days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, a tax, a registration, and so there's no big fanfare for Mary and Joseph to move to Bethlehem to fulfill Micah 5.2. <laughs> they, they may not even understand that or know that or remember that. I don't know what they knew. But I can tell you this. There was no fanfare for it. It was, it was relatively unplanned. Why? Because Mary's like, oh, it's time. And Joseph's like, where are we going to go? It's unremarkable. It's unremarkable. Look at verse 8 in chapter 2. In the same region, there were some shepherds. So Gabriel comes and he, he's going to call great and mighty people to come pay tribute and homage to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No, in very Micah 2 fashion, what does he do? Hey, there's some shepherds out in the field. You go see the king who is going to be born. There's no one of great renown. 
My friends, God hides the profound in the plain in Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth is relatively unremarkable. It's actually so remarkably unremarkable. Do you get the theme? Do you get the point? And we've seen that before. I'm sure that's popped out to us as we've studied through on our own, as we've heard sermons, but we're going to move somewhere tonight that what we see is unremarkable compared to God's mercy. And here it is profound that he acts favorably toward us, and he does so using the plain things of life. That's key. Using the plain things of life, God enacts his mercy and makes the plain the profound, just as he did in Jesus' birth. So let's look at verse uh, 28. We see here that uh, God does that with Mary. Luke says, and coming in, he said to her, Greetings, that's Gabriel. Greetings, favored one. Favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 30 again. Mary, for you have found favor with God. There's nothing special about Mary. Again, the only requirement besides her lineage that, that, was in, that Mary fulfilled was that she was a virgin. And so the emphasis is not on the fact that Mary is some special woman. The emphasis is on the one who favors her. Look at verse 46. Mary is clear to make this point in, in her hymn. She says, My soul exalts the Lord. It's not about her. It's about God finding favor in her because God is blessing her. God has chosen to bless her. It has nothing to do with her uh, merit. Look at verse 48. For the humble state of his bond slave, he has regard for her. He has had regard for her. He is the one who chooses. He is the one who makes Mary favored. Not Mary. Verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Verse 50. He is merciful to those who fear him. And Mary continues throughout her hymn. Again, it has nothing to do with Mary, but everything to do with God giving favor to her. And you know what? God gives favor to us as well. God gives favor to those who are plain. God gives favor to those who are humble. God gives favor to those who are his bond servants, as Mary was. If you look at the ordinary plain things in your life, how is God using them? That's really what I want us to see as we open up the pages of Scripture and as we consider Jesus' birth tonight. Look at your life 
And, and in, the, in the YouTube realm and in the, and in the uh, virtual reality realm, everything is so sensational. We get so, we get so uh, 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 behaviorally, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it. Trained, all right, to, to look for sensational, to crave the sensational, to live on the highs of life. But my friends, Jesus' birth was plain. Mary was a plain woman. And yet God, in his mercy, used, the prof- used them for profound things, to enact a profound plan at his hand. So think, what are some plain things in your life that God is using? Right away, the first thing that came to my mind is my family. I have Charla and my two girls, right? If you walk into my house, I would say there's probably nothing ordinary about our home, right? It's chaos. There's, there's sounds everywhere, and we're still in the age where we're just trying to get everybody to stay, keep their clothes on, <laughs> right? So how about that for not ordinary? Maybe that is ordinary in your home. I don't know, but think about it. From the world's perspective, how ordinary is a family? Well, that's ordinary. What are you going to do this Thanksgiving? Spend it with my family. Has anybody said that? Kind of like in that kind of a way? Going back to my, with my family? Yet how extraordinary is your family? How extraordinary is what God is doing through you and your family? Think about the blessings of your family. So yeah, it's plain. But it is profound. I think of an aunt who got saved in college and she prayed for me that I would get saved. Just prayed. She didn't, you know, rent one of those airplanes and put a sign on it, Steve and family get saved and I'm praying for you. And she never even told me. I found out years later after I got saved that she was praying for me and my family to get saved. How extraordinary is a prayer? It's not. It's plain. In your closet, just being faithful. But yet how profound is prayer? My friends, it is the plain things that God uses. Is the plain things. So not only is what we see often unremarkable as we encounter Jesus' birth here, but it will often be reversed through God's plan. So not only is it unremarkable at times, our life, but often the balance of our life will be reversed just as we see here in the narrative of Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth teaches us that what we see is reversed through God's merciful plan. Look at verse 51 in chapter 1 with me. This is why we read it all ahead of time because we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. But look at verse 51. What we see is reversed through God's merciful plan. See the positions in verse 51, 52, and 53? 
He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud. He has knocked them down. A reversal. Look at verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. So not only the proud, but the powerful brought down to nothing. Yet in a great reversal, even still, verse 52b, and he exalt and he has exalted those who were humble. The proud, the powerful, the plain. The proud will be punished, the powerful will be powerless, and the plain will be rewarded. God reverses what we see oftentimes through his merciful plan. Look at the condition of this reversal. 50. Look at verse 50. And his mercy, in his merciful plan, and in his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who, what? Fear him. That's the condition of the reversal. You want to be great in God's sight? You want to be great at the end of the day? Fear God. You want to be something? You want to be extraordinary? Honor and revere God. Put God where he belongs. Submit to the God of heaven. However, if you want to have power in this life, if you want to have prestige in this life, if you want to have all the pride that this life could bring, and yet leave God behind, God one day will reverse that. Mark it down. Jesus' birth teaches us that God will reverse. God will reverse often what we see to align with his merciful plan. To align with his merciful plan. So for those who fear God yet are frustrated, opposed, oppressed, abused, living in fear and failure. God will reverse all this. Doesn't Jesus' birth demonstrate to the core that God sovereignly reverses what we see and know to be true today? Think about Jesus' narrative. A babe born in a manger, a Nazarene, You could go on and on of the plain things that we see in this passage. But yet he is the king, and he is the savior. And one day every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. Oh, it's a great reality that what we see often will be reversed for those who fear him. And what we see is a glimpse, a mere glimpse of what is to come. Jesus' birth teaches us nothing if it teaches us that. Think about the setting of this narrative. Again, is there any doubt that God is trying to draw a glaring contrast between the arrival of his son and his rightful place? But we see, don't we, just how true this is how true it is that God is trying to draw to our attention that if we live for the here and now and what we see right now 
that is not enough, and that, at the end of the day, is not reality. Verse 32, will you turn there with me, of chapter 1. Gabriel says of Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What is true is the absolute greatness of our Savior. Look at verse 32. He will be great. No qualifiers. Just an absolute greatness. Jesus Christ. He won't just be a great king. He won't just be a great savior. He won't just be a great person or a great prom. He is great. He is greatness. He is the absolute great son of God. Look at verse 32 again. The son of the most high. The throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. We have just a little glimpse through the babe in the manger of the reality of what is to come. What is is the absolute ability for God to accomplish his purposes. And we are reminded of that through his word. What is, is that Jesus is coming again and he will reign forever. And Mary understands that. Look at verse 37 with me. Mary's perplexed. And she asks the question, verse 34, how can this be? I, I'm a virgin. How in the world can this happen? Then in verse 37, Gabriel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And then look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let this happen to me according to your word, Gabriel. We say, Well, wait a second. That's what, that's what Gabriel's saying. But yeah, remember what Gabriel is. He is an angel. He is a messenger. That's the Greek word for angel. He is a messenger of God. His words are whose words? God's words. And so Mary says, everything that you say, let it be done as it's been said. Let God's word remain true. Let God's word remain faithful. I don't understand it. I certainly can't see it. But let it be true. Let it be true. Now turn over to chapter 2 and look at verse 20 with me. Verse 19 says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. That's everything that happened at Jesus' birth. And then the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been 
told them. Every single thing that Gabriel said to the shepherds, every single thing came true. Everything they, they heard, they saw. My friends, this is why the Bible calls us to live by faith, not just by sight. Consider Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Romans chapter 8, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For one who hopes for what he already sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the, uh, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. John chapter 20. Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. First Peter chapter 1. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Does God put a premium in the things that are to come that he tells us about, but yet we do not see now? He does. And whenever you need a reminder of that, think about Jesus' birth. Whenever things don't go well at the, at the Thanksgiving table, or people are fighting about how much money they should or shouldn't spend for Christmas. All this stuff that tends to clutter our lives. Good stuff. Bad stuff. The burdens. The despair. The failures. The disappointments that just get layered on to more disappointments. Don't forget we have a faith that does not live by sight we are too easily governed with our eyes what we perceive to be true today is not all that there is it tends to overwhelm us or underwhelm us or make us numb but as we move into this season remember the babe in the manger teaches us a profound lesson there is so much more than we see. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to see the unseen glories of the plainly seen child. And as he models for us, even at his birth, the conviction that we live by faith, not by sight. I pray that you would help us to take these simple truths tonight from your word, from the narrative of Jesus' birth, and help us to marvel and revel at the merciful plan that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ 
from the foundation of the world. And I pray that our whole spirit, body, soul, all that we do this Christmas time would reflect in how we respond, in how we plan, in how we converse the unseen glories of the plainly seen child. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. You are dismissed.